If you have your Bibles with you, please turn, as Jeremy just mentioned, into Luke 18. I will read from verses 9 through 14 in just a couple minutes. I don't know how many of you are online or in various modes of social media. If you are like me, you've probably been discouraged in the past week or so by the amount of contempt you've seen on social media. There's contempt towards those who post, and there's contempt for those who don't. There's contempt for those who protest, and there's contempt for those who riot and loot. There's contempt for Democrats, and there's contempt for Republicans. There's contempt for elected officials. There's contempt for police officers. And there's sadly a lot of contempt of Christians toward other Christians. There was contempt over how Christians responded to to the coronavirus. Some pastors responded to other pastors with contempt because they didn't reopen their churches. Some responded with contempt because of how long they kept their churches closed. There's contempt for those who follow social distancing, and there's contempt for those who don't. And now all of that contempt has been blown away by much greater contempt uh, towards the various responses to George Floyd's death and the responses, two responses over George Floyd's death, or really we should say murder. Perhaps, to be honest, you've been feeling contempt. To be honest, I have towards someone or maybe many someones. Maybe it's someone on the uh, sidelines who's throwing their two cents in, or maybe it's someone in the limelight taking the pedestal for themselves. Contempt can feel so right. We can make a list of reasons why the one doing or saying something is wrong, or we can make a list of reasons why the one failing to do or say something is wrong. But either way, it's our list. Friends, contempt is very dangerous for everyone. And if we would take Jesus seriously, contempt is eternally dangerous. And whether we want to use the word contempt or the way we discount someone because of, of, of their opinions or their lack of them, or with the way we disregard someone, the way we despise someone, the way we feel disgust at someone, it exposes the presence of another danger. And that danger is self-righteousness. Contempt is the lump that reveals the cancer of self-righteousness. Contempt is is the pile of the, the little pile of dirt we find in our homes, that little pile of what's really droppings that reveals a, a termite infestation of self-righteousness. In Luke 18, Jesus responds to self-righteousness and contempt, and I believe that this is a timely word we all need to hear. I'm going to read it now from Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. And Jesus also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes, tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus ends the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in verse 14 with uh, something that really Jesus says often. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. When your life is over, when you stand before God, will you be humbled by God or will he exalt you? Will you be horrifically surprised thinking you were all that or you will be joyfully rewarded because you humbled yourself in this life? See, God's word this morning flashes with a huge warning sign, danger ahead. Or we could quote, check yourself before you wreck yourself. You are either someone who has exalted themselves or someone who has humbled themselves. You're either someone who has exalted themselves or someone who has humbled themselves. You are one of those two. See, this current crisis has, has forced you into taking a test. And whether you want it to or not, it is in our face. Every time you get on social media, every time you get on Instagram or on Facebook, every time you turn on the news, you are being tested. Have I humbled myself or have I exalted myself? The answer is revealed in how you see yourself and how you see others. And there's a, a, a big idea this morning. The big idea is the only ones whom God will exalt eternally are those who are humble now. The only ones whom God will exalt eternally are those who are humble now. And, that's, and that is what verse 14 means. This morning, we're going to look at Jesus's interaction with some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. And we're, and, and we're going to look at it in four parts with a goal that we will be humble. So we're going to see four, four parts as, as, as Luke tells this story of Jesus telling this story. So we're going to start in verse 9 with the critical con, 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 con condition. Jesus looked around and he saw those who were sick. And maybe you were one of those this morning. I've seen this, this, this evidence of the sickness in my heart. Luke 18 verse 9 says, Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. See, they are in critical condition. They are on life support. They do not know the danger that they are in. In a way, they are in a stupor. They are in a coma. They do not know that they are on the verge of destruction. Luke describes this, this audience that Jesus is going to talk to in two ways. He describes them as they trusted in themselves. Their confidence was in themselves, in their own merit. That word trusted is used in uh, Luke 11, verse 22. And uh, Jesus is, is using an illustration there. And this illustration shows this word's meaning well. When someone's stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied. 
And it's just that, that, that part of the illustration I want to focus on. The armor on which he had relied. The armor, and it's that word, he trusted in. He trusted in armor, but it left him up short. And that's what it is for those who trust in themselves. They're trusting in something that will leave them short. Now, they're not trusting in themselves to, 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 to provide their daily bread, although that may be, or to protect themselves, although that could be too. No, but they were trusting in themselves, and Luke explains that they were righteous, that they were right before God, that they were not standing before God in a condition of guilty and, and any fear of judgment, but that they were righteous, that they were a-okay. That if God were looking for someone to judge, they'd be passed over. They look at themselves and say, I match up to God's standard. And it says they viewed others with contempt. One lexicon describes that word contempt to show by one's attitude or manner of treatment that someone has no merit or worth. It's really to treat someone like garbage, to think about them like they're garbage, to scorn them, to disdain them, to despise them, to discard them. See, Jesus is looking at those and others had no value in their eyes. They had written off others. They had dismissed others because they didn't match up to their own standard of righteousness. Now, we don't know who these were that Jesus was, was, was addressing. It just simply says some. And it's easy to imagine that Jesus was addressing the Pharisees. In fact, I listened to, 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 to a sermon re recently where the preacher kind of egged, egged the crowd on in contempt for the Pharisees. And that's almost too easy to do here, to, to, to throw stones at these Pharisees. We know what we expect of the Pharisees. It would almost be too easy. We could view the Pharisees with contempt. No, instead, Luke just says some. And that way we're forced to ask, am I one of those some? So let's ask ourselves a couple diagnostic questions to see if we're one of those some. And, 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 and let's look at that second description first, because I think it is easier to say yes to. And the question is, whom do you view with contempt? Do you view people with contempt? Whom do you view with contempt? Who do you automatically write off? Who do you automatically imagine yourself better than? Is it, is it someone based on their ethnicity? Is it someone based on what kind of job they, 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 they have? Do you have the same respect for a doctor as for a gardener? How do you view someone who's pushing a shopping cart? Someone who's homeless? Do you have contempt for people who don't have as high a level of an education as you? Or maybe those who do, who are part of the, of the, of the ivory tower uh, 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 academia and, and you have contempt for them. Do you have contempt of people based on their appearance, on their weight, on the way that they wear their clothes, on their lack of modesty? Do you have contempt for someone because of their lack of, of eloquence or because of their very polished speech? Because they are refined? Because they're rich? Do you have contempt for them? Or do you have contempt for them because they're poor? 
Do you have contempt for them because of, of their political leanings, because they're Democratic or Republican? Do you have contempt for them because of their theology, because they are Arminian or because they're Calvinist? Do you have contempt for them because of any one of a number of sins? Do you have contempt for them because they think we should wear masks or because they think we shouldn't wear masks? Do you have contempt for them because of their voting record? Maybe you feel contempt of them because they feel contempt of you and you're currently involved in a spite match. That explains a lot of what I see in social media. If you are aware in, in this short list of contempt for others, we have to ask ourselves the next diagnostic question. And I, and, and I kind of hope that, that we all see some of that. Not that I want... I mean, if, if you don't have the sin, awesome. Uh, but I, th I think most of us can see some sin of that contempt. At least many of us. It leads to the second dot diagnostic question. So the first was, whom do you have contempt for? The second is, do you trust in yourself that you are righteous? Do you trust in yourself that you're righteous? And as Christians, I know we don't want to go there. We know the answer should be, no, Jesus, I trust in you for my righteousness. But what is the basis of your condemning others except a catalog of who you are, of what you have done, what you've accomplished, and what you haven't done, and what you've avoided, of your achievements, of your distinguishing features? See, if you have contempt for someone, it's because of your inflated view of yourself. Our contempt of others is rooted in our estimation of our own righteousness. So you, you, you don't have to come away from that answer and saying, yes, I trust in myself that I'm righteous, but maybe just be paused. Maybe this, this could be you. Maybe you are the some people who trust in themselves that they are righteous and treat others with contempt. Jesus brings down the hammer here, but he does so in love because Jesus didn't need to tell this parable. The very fact that he tells this parable shows us that there is grace for sinners like us. There is grace for those who have contempt towards others. See, we see Jesus' grace here to those who are spiritually unhealthy. He tells them, and he calls it, uh, Luke, Luke calls it a parable. It's a kind of story that, 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 that illustrates a truth by making a comparison. And this parable is, is a means of God's grace to the proud. It's God's truth that God's spirit can use. So if you are sensing in your heart already, Father, I feel contempt. God, God, I'm afraid I trust myself. Then, then, then pray now, God, please work in my heart so that I could see the grace that Jesus has for me. So first we looked at at the critical condition of the some and maybe some of us. Well, next we're, we're, we're going to look at an uncomfortable contrast. And that's really what Jesus is doing here. He is making his audience uncomfortable and he will make us uncomfortable too. He has an uncomfortable contrast. It begins in Luke 18, verse 10. The two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Jesus is infinitely wise. 
Now, he's not tempting his audience to, to, to sin, but Jesus's opening sentence would unmask their self-righteousness and their contempt. Now, the Pharisee would have been expected uh, uh, at the temple. The Pharisees were, were, were a religious sect among the Jews committed to keeping the Old Testament law. They had separated themselves from all kinds of things for the purpose of holiness. If you wanted to find a devout person, if you wanted to find someone who's godly, you would look around for the closest Pharisee. They, 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 they were theologically conservative. They were politically neutral. And for many Jews, they, the Pharisees were what they thought of as righteous. But the tax collector... See, Jesus would have piqued their interest by saying a tax collector went to the temple to pray. And they would have automatically wondered, what's he doing there? See, they had contempt for the, the tax collectors. The tax collectors were notorious among the Jews. It was, it, it was the most hated profession of the day. They were known for taking advantage. See, see, see tax collectors, uh, Tax collectors were allowed to, to, to charge a surcharge uh, on the taxes they collected for the Roman government, and that was fine. But often they would extract too much, and that was how they made a profit. It was how they got rich. And so people hated when the tax collectors demanded money from them. For many, they were the lowest of the low. There would have been a lot of social media posting about how bad the, the uh, tax collectors were. In Luke 18.11, Jesus continues, The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, and probably Jesus' audience was, was eager to hear what this righteous man was going to say. Remember, they don't know what Luke has told us, that, 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 that Jesus is telling this parable because they are those who consider themselves righteous and those who treated others with contempt. So they're listening, expecting this. Oh, this is going to be good. We're going to see a great example here. See, it's going to be an uncomfortable contrast for them. In Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Standing was 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 a common position for for for, for praying. There was there was nothing strange in that. Now it's difficult to to, to know if it uh, in the Greek if he's praying to himself as 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 the New American Standard says. And many people make a lot of that, like like oh he was praying to himself instead of God. Really, if if it's praying to himself, it just means that he was praying 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 quietly and under his breath, which is commonly how people would would would, would pray. Uh, or he could be 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 standing by himself praying, which is how the ESV has it, and, and and I think it's more likely because of how Jesus talks about where the tax collector was standing when he prayed. So the Pharisee was standing by himself, maybe getting some distance from others, maybe putting on a show, maybe just because he doesn't want to be contaminated by others. We 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 could we could read into the story a little bit. Prayer begins as if he's about to thank God. He's, it sounds like he's going to thank God for what God has done. But instead, the Pharisee thanks God for what he isn't, that he's not like other people, that he's not a swindler, that he's not unjust. He's not an unrighteous person. He's not an adulterer. But we see his, his contempt for others. I'm not like others. And there's an unfortunate target for his prayer. 
even like this tax this this tax co- 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 collector. It's tough to imagine him at this point with his eyes not open as he prays. And, and, and as he's like, oh God, I think I'm not like an adulterer and I'm not unjust. I'm not a swindler. Thanks, God. And thanks, God. I'm not like that tax collector over there. Perhaps he had to look, look backwards away from the temple into the court of the Gentiles for a really good example of someone he wasn't like. See, the Pharisee's self-evaluation of himself increases as he goes. He's getting into it as he prays. And perhaps some of you thank God when you turn on social media. You thank God when you turn on the nightly news. Let's see what those wackos on Fox News are saying, or let's see what those wackos on CNN are saying. Maybe you prepare yourself emotionally when you go to Walmart to, to exalt yourself among the other Walmart shoppers. For, somehow people always complain about Walmart shoppers, but they always know what they look like, so they must shop there too. Or maybe you exalt yourself over those who are in Washington, D.C., all the, all the suits. Or maybe you exalt yourself over both those in Walmart and Washington, D.C. So thankful you're not like others. In Luke 18, verse 12, the Pharisee extends from, from what he, who he's not like, what he hasn't done, to what he does do. He says, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. So not only does the Pharisee not do some sins, he performs religious actions beyond what the law required. He went above and above and beyond. Fasting was what was only required in the Old Testament law on one day, on, on, on the Day of Atonement, on, on once a year. Although fasting was done in, in other times of, of neediness, either where, where people were, were pleading to God for a rescue or for God to turn aside from judgment. They would, they would fast in times of war, of plague, of drought, of famine. It, w- it was a demonstration of a mourning heart, and it was seen as an act of piety. Uh, when the Pharisees fasted twice a week, it, it, it would be, it'd be normally done on Monday and Thursday, and generally from, from sunrise to sunset. He fasted twice a week. He had a belt he kept notches in. How many times a week did he fast? He also tithed beyond what the law called for. He went over and beyond his tithe as well. He said, of all I get. What one, one, one commentator writes in Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 to 23, required a tithe on the firstlings of all flocks, as well as on grain, wine, and and oil, but but rabbinic interpretation extended the tithe to to to, to include uh, include beans and vegetables and herbs. And Jesus talks about how Pharisees in Luke eleven forty two says, "But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. You guys are going above and beyond in your tithing of herbs." That goes beyond what God's law requires, but you've forgotten the important things. Perhaps he tithed this Pharisee on all of his produce. Perhaps he tithed on, on, on other means of uh, income, either things that he sold. Perhaps he tithed even on things that he purchased that the person he bought it from hadn't tithed 
on the goods. Or maybe he even tithed on gifts. He tithed of all he got. He was super careful. See, the Pharisee, as he lists what he's not like and what he has done, he has no consciousness of how he falls short of God's law. He's like someone who looks at a funhouse mirror, you, you know, one, one of those strange mirrors that makes you either super tall or super wide, and, and, and takes that distorted view of himself, and, and he just accepts it. Instead of thanking God for what God does, he thanks God for what he does. He trusted in himself that he was righteous. And here's the uncomfortable contrast uh, of the tax collector in Luke 18, 13. And remember, most of Jesus' audience would probably have listened to what was described there and been like, yeah, that's a really good Pharisee. In Luke 18, verse 13. Jesus tells the story, but the, but the tax collector standing, standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Some distance away. So far off the, the ESV has. And it's likely the, the, the court of the Gentiles here, the, the outer court here, where, where, where everyone could come, even Gentiles. But it was a place for those who were ritually unclean. And this Jew had a sense of, I don't belong inside the, 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 the court of the women even, or, or, or the court of the men, and definitely not inside the temple itself where the priests were. He was unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. Instead, he was beating his breast, and, 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 and this was a mark of contrition and grief. And the tense of the verb here shows that this was an ongoing action. This is an unwillingness to lift up his eyes. He, he spent some time there in this grief. Now, this is not penance. This is not putting on a show. This is not making a sacrifice of some kind of of public apology. This is not posting on social media your sins so everyone can see them. This is between him and God here. God, be merciful to me. And this, and it's so sweet that Jesus does this. This is not the normal word for a mercy. The, 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 the word that this tax collector uses is related to other Greek words that they have the concept of atonement of cleansing, of God's wrath being satisfied. See, the tax collector understood that he needed his sins to be atoned, not by men, but from God. He needed to have his sins covered. He needed to have his sins wiped away. And how's this going to happen? Where's this atonement going to come from? And there's even a sense here, and we don't know if he brought a sacrifice as well. He understands that God is the one who's going to atone for his sins. And he understands the need for his sins and the same word for his sins to be propitiated, for, his, for God's wrath to be satisfied, for God's anger to be removed. He has no confidence in himself, this, this sinner. He has no confidence that he was righteous. There is no distortion in this mirror. No, no he's, he's looking into one of those makeup mirrors. I, I don't know if, he, if, you've, if you've seen them, you know, the ones with a bright glowing light around them, the, the ones that show everything in high death. And you're like, I didn't know I had that many pockets on my face. Those mirrors that reveal every flaw. 
That's what the, 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 the Pharisee is looking at in, in, in the righteous law of God's word. And he sees himself. And what does he have to bring? But neediness, but brokenness, but self-loathing in a very healthy way. And he makes no comparison. He says, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And the New American Standard keeps that. The, the sinner in different versions tra translate it differently. Some a sinner, some the sinner. The Greek can definitely be translated the sinner. His eyes could be so full of himself at this point and so, view, so full of God that all he can describe himself is as, as the sinner, the one who's fallen short, the transgressor, the crooked one, the perverse one, the decrepit one, the defiled one, the one who has lusts. The, the, the one who, who would overthrow God if he could. The one who's broken God's law. Oh, see, and this visual would be uncomfortable to the Jews listening to Jesus' story. There's something wrong with this story. This, that they would recognize this, this tax collector has such grief and such earnestness and such desperateness, but he's so wicked. How can these two go together? And suddenly, at least for some of them, the Pharisee suddenly sounds kind of shallow and self-centered, and fake, and someone who has a very small view of God. In your self-evaluation, where have your eyes been? Have your eyes been on others or on God? See, the Pharisee's eyes were full of himself, what he had and hadn't done. He had a carefully manicured checklist, which would leave him righteous. See, and like that's the problem with this, with this checklist righteousness. You can add on to it everything that makes you feel good and push aside anything you don't want to look at. So what is on your righteous checklist? What have you been adding to it recently? Social distancing? Check, I've got that. Giving to an advocacy group that supports social justice, check. Purchasing from environmentally aware companies, check. Posting on certain social media sites with social hat with 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 uh, certain hashtags, check. I've done that. Being woke, check. Listening to reform preachers, check. Reading Puritans, check. Staying fit and healthy, check. And I don't know what yours are. I try to get a, give, 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 give a widespread there. I hope we all feel a little uncomfortable by that quick checklist. So easy to make ourselves righteous. But the tax collector's eyes were on God, even while his eyes were cast down. And he was undone. He was unrivaled. He was like Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 6 when he sees the glorious vision of God. And he says, woe is me for I am a sinful man. I am undone. I'm unraveling here. Or, or Peter, after Christ calls him to come and follow and, and, and he sees the miraculous catch of fish. And Peter says in Luke 5, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Or, or, or Saul on the road to Damascus when he sees Jesus 
And he's, he, he says, Lord, well, what do you want me to do? See, all of those men came to the end of themselves. They were devastated before God. Their eyes were cast down. There's such a danger. There's such a danger as we look at the world for, for, to view others with contempt, to make ourselves righteous with our list of, I did this this week and I didn't do that. Well, Jesus has a shocking verdict. And, and, uh, and I think some in his audience knew where this is going, but listen to what he says in Luke 18, verse 14. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. I tell you. And when Jesus says, I tell you, he's about to, 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 to draw a, a significant conclusion for you. And he speaks with authority. Because he knows what God requires of men. He can tell you, I tell you, I can't tell you that. But I can say, Jesus tells you. For those of us who read the Gospels, when we come across, I tell you. We expect to Jesus to overturn our, our expectations. We expect him to show us that our assumptions are wrong. And we expect to get uncomfortable. And Jesus does that. He says, this man. Now, that word for, for, for this man had been on the words of the Pharisee when he looked around at this tax collector who he is better than. But Jesus kind of uses that word against the Pharisee in his parable. This man, the, the tax collectors, this man, which has sounded so disdainful on the lips of the Pharisee, this man went to his house justified. And, and there it's what we like to call the divine passive. This is what God has done. This is God's response to the tax collector's prayer. The tax collector leaves the temple courtyard declared righteous by God, justified, acceptable in God's presence. He has a new standing before God. This is what the tax collector came for. He came for atonement. He came for God's wrath to be satisfied. And God says, you are justified. Romans 4 verse 5 says, To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And that is how God works. We see that with the, 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 the tax collector here. He believes that God is a God who justifies, and he leaves the temple justified. Romans 3 verse 28 says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We will not be justified. We will not be made right with God by any checklist, by, 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 by any list of rituals we do, by any fasting we do, by any tithing we do, by any Hail Marys we pray, by, by, by any list of things that we do, by the number of quiet times we have, the amount of scriptures that we read, our consistency in going to online streaming pseudo church. All of these things that we do will not make us right with God. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. A man is justified only by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We, we, we've studied in these past week, Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that tax collector in Jesus' story had peace with God. He had been justified through faith. Now, he didn't understand the full gospel 
in, in that story of Jesus Christ dying in the place of sinners, but he understood that God is the one who, 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 can, who can propitiate himself, who can satisfy his own wrath, that God is the one who has to provide a sacrifice, that God is the one who, who, who cleanses and who can expiate my sins. I can't do this. And the Pharisee had no comprehension of this. The Pharisee had no understanding of being justified by faith. Romans 5 verse 9 says, Much more than having now been justified by the blood of Christ, by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And that is what Jesus Christ is doing in this world. He is saving sinners from God's wrath through his blood by taking the punishment of sinners. And so we, who at one point in our lives, all of us trusted in ourselves that we were righteous. We did not think we needed Christ. And now if you are in Christ Jesus, you are those who have been justified, who have put your faith in Christ. And if you have not, I plead with you today, don't view others with contempt. Don't, don't view yourself as righteous. Don't make a list of reasons why you should be accepted by God. Don't have a list of things that you haven't done. Don't make a list of promises of things you will do. Don't, in a sense, I'll use a metaphor, use a bunch of hashtags with God. Put your faith in Christ. Atonement is only in him. Cleansing is only in him. Forgiveness is only in him. Justification is only in him. Reconciliation is only found through faith in Jesus Christ. This is God's way so that only he gets the glory. Jesus says, this one went to his house justified, but the other, see, the Pharisee dismisses that one. The other, the Pharisee was not justified by God. The Pharisee leaves God's temple as stained by sin as he went in. Maybe he had some kind of feeling of, a, of emptiness. Maybe he went away feeling great about himself. He came asking nothing for God and went away receiving nothing from God. His status was unchanged. He was still guilty. He was the sinner but didn't know it. All he leaves with is self-righteousness in himself and contempt for others. Some in Jesus' audience probably just had their minds blown. Others may have literally thought Jesus was crazy. How can this be, Jesus? How can this be? Well, let's look at the timeless truth here. Why was the sinner justified? Why was the sinner declared righteous? But the one who did everything right, who fasted twice a week, who gave all of these tithes, who didn't do all those bad things, why was he the one who was still guilty? Well, Jesus explains. And he goes to a timeless truth. This is how God works with man. In Luke 18, verse 14, the second half of the verse. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus explains how God responds to man's view of themselves. God responds to man's view of themselves. Those who exalt themselves, who trust in themselves for their acceptance with God, who pat themselves on the back, on the back for their righteousness, who keep a catalog of their good works and the ways that they are unlike others, they will be humbled. They will be exposed as those who are unrighteous. They will come up short on judgment day. Despite all of their righteousness, they will be revealed to be the lawbreakers, the sinners. 
But those who humble themselves now, who lower themselves before God's throne, who brand themselves as the sinner, who are broken when God's commands expose their sin, who admit their depravity and their perversity and their selfishness and their pride and their racism and all of their many, many sins, who toss aside their filthy rags of assumed superiority, who come to God's throne needy for mercy, who need their wrath to be taken away, who need their sons, their sins to be covered, who look at Christ alone, exalted and lifted up, and said, he's the only one who can be my substitute. Those are the ones who will be exalted. See, their their justification by God will be seen in God's courts. Those who humble themselves now will hear themselves declared by God, not guilty. My people, beloved ones, children, righteous, forgiven, accepted, eternally welcomed, forever my servant. Praise the Lord. But those who exalt themselves now, who persist in exalting themselves on that day, will hear the words, guilty, not my people, enemy, unrighteous, rejected, not welcomed, forever a slave to sin, forever a servant of Satan. By God's grace, maybe none of those who are listening this morning. On that judgment day, will you be humbled by God or will you be exalted by God? Will you be exposed as those who have been wrapping themselves, trying to keep themselves warm in filth-stained robes and the robes of self-righteousness? Or will you be those who are truly welcomed, clothed in Christ's own righteousness? Will you be cast out or will you be welcomed home? The only ones who will be welcomed home are those who cast their eyes down. Brothers and sisters, where are your eyes? Are your eyes on yourself? So you can pat yourself on the back for the ways you are not like others, for the list of things you have done. Are your eyes looking around for a comparison for someone you're better than? Because they'll always find one. Are your eyes cast down? Have you seen God in Christ exalted on his throne? And have you been devastated? Have you said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man? Have you said, woe is me, I am undone? Have you said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner? Oh, brothers and sisters, Jesus told this parable so that every one of you can truly be, by God's grace, my brother and sister, so that there's none of you who are patting themselves on the back for their self-righteousness. There's none of you who are, who are trusting in themselves that they are righteous. There's none of you who are viewing others with contempt. Jesus told this parable so that you can leave justified. And I think there's probably many of us who
who have some repenting to do, even those of us who've already been justified, how quickly we fall back into those traps of self-righteousness and viewing others with contempt. I think we need to be repenting. That's, that's what God's been working on in my heart and will continue to. Let's pray. Now, Father, I thank you uh, for your word. I thank you that Jesus loves sinners. I thank you that Jesus loves the self-righteous, that Jesus loves those who viewed others with contempt. Thank you that he taught this parable, that he told us how dangerous this is, and so that we could see how to be made righteous. And it's not by, by quoting these words. It's by being devastated. And so, Father, that is what your spirit has been doing since, since your law came. It's been devastating sinners. And since the gospel has been proclaimed, it's been teaching us to look to your son who died in the place of sinners. Father, this, 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 this word is the work of your spirit. Only you justify tax collectors. Father, help us embrace being tax collectors and run away from being Pharisees. Pray that for all who are listening, including myself. In Jesus' name, amen.